You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right, it is time for yet another episode of Cure to Consumption. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Lance Lambert. Thank you in advance for joining us today. Pretty a little legal this week, which uh, you know a lot of our listeners. This applies to both sides, really. So, if you're owning a business, you're in the industry from that regard, or if you're a consumer and happen to be readily employed, which I think a majority of consumers are, safe to say. Um, I think this is a fun topic, and I think it's going to be a fun show because I have someone who I've been friends with for, safe to say, over a decade. <laughs> we definitely go a ways yeah. back. Like to welcome Randy Pollock, and Randy is a managing attorney at Winterstein Caceres, if I get that right. Caceres, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, You've been doing this for a minute, man. You've, you've been on the legal side and obviously went to school, went to a few schools, I remember, hmm. for, uh, you know, for, for getting to this level. And, uh, you know, safe to say, and you, you can share if you want to more, but I know that you at least understand cannabis and you support cannabis at some level uh, on, on the legal side. And uh, something that you've always been cognizant of in, um, in the workplace for you, because this obviously applies to what you do, right? So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank, thanks, Lance, for having me today. And uh, uh, yes, I think this would be an interesting discussion today. I mean, yeah. the law intertwines with all of this stuff. And, you know, any any context you want to talk about this, you need a legal framework to talk about it. Otherwise, right. you're just, it's not informed. And so uh, for me, I, my background is workers' compensation law in California, workers' compensation defense, representing the employer side, the insurance company side. But I could speak to some aspects of this that intertwine, like I said, with the lives of businesses and, and dealing with the law and the workers that deal with the law and yeah. their desire to use cannabis and the businesses desire to run a business and how you, how do those intersect and what's the challenges and the opportunities there? <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially in a state like California, man. I know we, we talk about everywhere when you and I catch up, but for those that don't know, this is where I cut my teeth in, in management back in my early twenties. And I'm so thankful I did because it is one of the strictest states, right? In regard to yep. employment and stipulations uh, associated thereof. Surprisingly, and, yes. Right? Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> a lot of politics here in California for those that don't know, um, but we're almost like our own country. My gosh, 42 million people in fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, it's almost like it needs to stand on its own in regard to some of these uh, topics, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so goes California, so goes the nation. I so, know. And yeah. that's, I keep bringing that up when people are surprised. I say that something's going to happen at a federal level by 2022. Everyone's like, Oh, too soon. This I'm like, is it? I mean, I always have to remind people and you know, this, you, you know, we're close enough in age. I know you remember this year round. I mean, we've had legal cannabis on some level since 1990, since Prop P in San Francisco, and then obviously uh, Prop 215 in 1996 and then Prop 64, you know, 20 years later. Um, but this isn't anything new, right? So how's this from, from a legal standpoint? I think just speaking in general, and then we'll kind of get into both sides of the proverbial fence because you and I have had great discussions about the, the business owner and, and the onus and responsibility there, how the government plays into that, and then also the the employee, you know? The law the law is a slow beast, okay? <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're, you're overlaying um, the evolving societal things, uh, uh, things that people are interested in. Yeah. Uh, California passes uh, medical marijuana, then passes uh, recre recreational use. and But you're working with the glacier of the law. I remember back yeah. in law school, I had a professor talk about the law as a glacier coming over from England and, oh, and, wow. and how it's been into the United <laughs> States. And it's true. Yeah. It, not even of that movement, but in of itself in California, we have sort of vestiges and and elements that um, are have moral sort of elements to them. Mm -hmm. And those conflict with society moving forward in other ways. So maybe society's moving forward faster than the law as a framework is. Right. So that's what you see the tension and you see the tension on a federal level too, that there's been some laws on the books and some approaches on the books that conflict with how society's moving at a state level. And, um, and that's a sort of an interesting dynamic that's been playing out. Yeah. And you brought up something when we were catching up and it, it's interesting because it's a terminology and, and this is something that tells me that you've been following the industry and you have an understanding of it. Um, even if from an objective perspective, 
and that you said, you know, right now it's essentially a patchwork and that's yeah. like spot on. That's how we yeah. compare, you know, you look at, um, like I shared with you and a lot of people aren't aware that technically uh, Texas passed the Compassionate Care Act back, I want to say in 2016, and then they amended it with the, um, uh, the capable use of THC over a few years ago. Uh, so they do technically have three dispensaries and it's such tight as far as rules and regulations on uh, prescription because it is a, a very select, almost like a beta program. But you take that and then you look at, to your point, like California or um, Colorado, where they have respective adult use and uh, medical programs that still exist. Uh, so it's a wide spectrum. And I think it's interesting that you're like, yeah, it's total patchwork because everything's done at a local state level yeah. versus federal. Yeah, coming from my legal background, uh, None of this is surprising to me at all. Yeah. You know, the, when, you know, take constitutional law in law school, you learn about the 10th Amendment and federalism. And the design is to allow for that flexibility, for that sort of innovation at the state level, yeah. whereas, you know, local communities, local organ, uh, local places like states, and, and uh, they can implement new things and see if it works. And if yeah. it works, great. If it doesn't, then no, no one else is going to do it. And so that has been somewhat of the beauty of uh, this uh, constitution that we, we live with. Uh, it has at times been problematic, but it, yeah. the federalism allows for that to flourish. And so what you've seen, starting with Colorado, uh, how many years has it been now? Seven, 10 oh years? Gosh. Yeah, they actually, it went into effect January 1, 2014. Wow, okay. So yeah, it's so, been seven so, years. So there you go. So they've, they've, what federalism allows you to have is that they take that experiment, if they crash and burn, then maybe everybody else would say, okay, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. But it succeeded. It succeeded pretty well. Oh my gosh, so then you have a, And then so you yeah. now have other states picking it up, but they're making tweaks. You make little yeah. tweaks here and there. But federal level, it's gonna be a slow animal to move with that. So you allow the, what you see with cannabis, which you also saw with other societal developments mm -hmm. and, and issues that worked through the last 25 years. Um, one state does this, state picks up and then a new approach develops. and. Um, Typically, it's best in the federalism context to allow for democracy to work it through and, and, and people at a state level and a local level vote or pass laws that reflect the desires of their people. That's, the, that's what democracy yeah, is. And right? so you're seeing that in a beautiful way play out over the, over the last 20 years, really. And so we're in the middle of it, though. It's not over yet. Yeah. You know, the story, the, story <laughs> isn't, the story isn't over yet. The story will be written maybe 20 years from now and they say, well, it took a little while to get there. But we got there. That, that's right. what's interesting is, <clears throat> and we talked about, you know, it, there's some watershed moments on the legal side, you know, Roe v. Wade, I think is the one thing I'm probably mainstream people are most familiar with, but even topics like we discussed same-sex marriage, which that was something, like you said, that's an interesting analogy, but one that's very applicable yeah. from a societal standpoint now, where you have this something that um, was very much accepted. We'll, we'll say, you know, both of us being Californians right now, uh, very much acceptable in our backyard, but to your point, that was not the same in, in Alabama. That's not the same in, <laughs> in Arkansas. And so, Must like you said- Must the examples? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, I well, I'm not gonna say Tennessee because <laughs> I still love that state. But uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's for you to put it in that terms as far as understand that it almost is like a test. And I saw that in the corporate world too. That's one thing that really surprised me. The older I've gotten and the more that I've understood uh, the way a business functions in and out and from, from you know, small startup to very well-established Fortune 500s is you take some of these successful companies and it's almost like they apply that as well. I worked for a Scripps in specific where, you know, it instigated a local solution uh, for revenue retention and it was adopted locally, but it took a minute it to get adopted at the corporate level and then for them to say yes we want to distribute this um, applied science as it were towards uh, revenue retention across all properties uh, and so um, it seems like that is just the natural advantageous way to go with things like this right yeah you set policy at the top and um, it's not very flexible and yeah. so things start going you know you can't adapt very well so it's, it's been a good model for, for uh, right, as a business model, it's good to allow for that experimentation yeah. and development, innovation. These are all really good words. Yeah. You know, these are things that you should <laughs> embrace versus, uh, you know, static, uh, inflexible. What, what do those connote? Stagnant. Right? You know, yeah, yeah, stagnant. Those are good ways to do it. Uh, yeah. And so, again, it's the design of, I mean, the framers, for all their faults, they've set up an interesting system. Now, it also, yeah, it could be challenging at times because when you have states' rights and you know, this sort of ability of a state to go in one direction versus another, you can also have sort of not just a patchwork, but a war, you know, a country against itself. Yeah. You know, you could have one state, the most extreme and you have right next to it, a complete opposite. So you that comes with it as well. But the thinking is like, 
really anything that's worthwhile in life is that you demonstrate the excellence of your approach and others will follow suit. Yeah. And um, that's what it's about. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting too. You know, I was out there and uh, obviously had enough people, friends, <laughs> friends tease me when they saw that I had moved to Colorado just in time for uh, state legalization, you know, because growing up in Northern California, I guess just even my friends stereotype, oh, we know why you're moving there. That's not my actually, well, I'm moving here for my career. Just so happens it's tied to cannabis. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was the thing that was interesting was I found, uh, you know, the states had this attitude that, um, well, we're different. You know, which I know everyone in society is trying to do as much as people, you know, do assimilate and kind of herd. Uh, but many people do like to know I'm, you know, an exception to the rule or I'm a different approach. I saw that with the states in regard to legalization because, you know, it was kind of like a, a one-two punch, if you will, with Colorado, Washington, Oregon. It's like boom, 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 you know. And um, they all could have helped in the beginning. Like, hey, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for that? And they just didn't, like Washington is an example. They absorbed their medical program because... I don't know. I kind of took it as, well, you guys got what you wanted. You got adult use. Everyone can consume. We don't need a medical program. It's like, no, people really are using this for medical. Right, We've right. talked about this. You have someone close to you that yeah. that is a fan of cannabinol to help them sleep at night. And CBN, in my opinion, you know, that's 100% therapeutic attribute to this plant. It helps you naturally sleep. No hangover, you know, no, no, um, you know, buzz uh, to the extreme mm -hmm. per se, like compared to some things that, that knock folks out. Um, but, you know, people, they, they look at that as a medical. Other people look at CBD or CBG as a medical and cannabigil is another good one for anti-inflammatory or at least, you know, from a, a holistic natural. I'm not a doctor, but um, so I think it is kind of interesting. But where do you see it going, you know, as far as the other thing we discussed was, you know, these states that are coming around and going, what do we do now? Can people drug test for cannabis? And mm -hmm. I know California's, you know, past, Nevada passed a law, which was pretty sweet. Um, and you've looked into some of that. Where does it stand as far as people that are employed and happen to consume in legal markets? Yeah, so California is not there yet. Um, yeah. Certainly what you were just talking about, Nevada, right? They're, yes, they're, Nevada they're, is the one that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so California has uh, a little bit of a stricter situation right now. Uh, certainly there's some stuff in the works at the legislative level to, to address that. It really, how do I put it? It interacts with the worker uh, in California right away when you're applying for a job. Right, yeah. you're yeah. the pre, the pre, the you know, applying for a job, get an offer, and then you run into the employer's ability to do a pre-employment drug test. Yeah, and the law allows that currently. And uh, despite there's, there's, it's called a suspicionless, suspicionless uh, test. So you wow. don't know anything about the individual, um, don't even have to have any suspicions, but you're entitled to do that drug test. And I believe California Supreme Court's upheld this approach. Well, wow. well, the problem with it is because it conflicts with some other factors of society. One, California has a right to privacy yeah. uh, in its constitution. Um, we also have legalized uh, uh, recreational use of mar marijuana and then, or cannabis. Sorry, marijuana. Yeah. When I say marijuana, I it's, it almost sounds like an antiquated statement, right? Well, uh, yeah. it, marijuana. No, we, we, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a government. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know. So we'll call it cannabis. That's a better. Yeah, that's the PC term. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so it runs into several uh, problems there because on the one hand, you have legal use. Uh, and then, and not just on recreational, but medical, because that's you know pretty significant as well. Like yeah. someone has medical usage of that, and now their employer is telling you, well, you got to take a drug test to get hired. And where do you, where, you know that creates a conflict, right? I you know I take it to, for my medical issues, but at the same time I want a job. So there's some comp yeah. competing interest there. Um, and then of course uh, there's also potential discrimination as well. Mm -hmm. So these sort of intersect with each other, and the current law allows for the employer to do that. And uh, but. Once you've crossed that threshold, though, in the employment setting, the employer is restricted substantially and that they can't just do, well, if they want to do uh, sort of spot checks and things yeah, like that. random drug tests. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there certain, there certain challenges that the employer has. And to be fair, I'm trying to be a fair broker here in this discussion. I'm really acting as an ambassador to the law in this discussion. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take Which sides. Is great. And yeah. what I'm just saying is that there, there's, you know, to be fair, the employer has some concerns, uh, safety concerns, of course culture concerns about, you know, maintaining a certain outlook in, in that, you know, they want to be a business oriented professional environment. Um, those are important things. They also have contracts with government, maybe the federal government that make yeah. it impossible for them to do that. Very true. Um, so, so they have real concerns. So, but it sort of conflicts though with these realities of the law, the privacy, the discrimination, anti-discrimination, all that. So what you have is a little bit of a different standard once you become hired. It's a reasonable suspicion standard 
for most people. So they can't just uh, do random drug tests on anybody because what it runs into is, why did you do that with that person? Yeah. Are you doing it? Why just that person? Yeah, why that person? You know, so are you discriminating? Are you, you know, and so it runs into that other social, those other social aspects that we're working with, the law and, and all that. So what they end up doing is employers have to come up with really good programs, really good um, best practices and uh, handbooks, employment handbooks to say how they implement it when they have a reasonable suspicion and what factors they're right. looking at. So it doesn't become obviously discriminatory or um, an otherwise problem. So that's that's for the worker to realize that's the framework you're working under. Pre, pre-employment, they pretty much can do whatever they want. Uh, yeah. Post-employment, they, they could do some measures. They ha- essentially, if you're acting inebriated or you know high, um, or v- like or on the job accident. I know that's sure, one thing, sure. and, and not just for like logistics. It's a given for like a FedEx or UPS. I know that as soon as they have an accident, they're required to go down and get yeah. drug tested on the spot. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of companies that use that um, contingency, if you will, which it is part. Is your point you, you, when you sign, you know, the employment packet. That it's in there, guys. <laughs> but it is interesting because that's one thing to be cognizant of. If you have an accident on the job, if you trip, if you fall, if you damage property, right? That's where it can come into play for most companies. And then that goes into the realm that I'm very f- familiar with. I'm a workers' yeah. compensation defense attorney. I know how it's viewed from the employer when you have an injury and then they do a drug test. Because again, that may be an opportunity to do that, to yep. say, well, we've had an accident. Let's make sure you're not on drugs. Um, and regardless of what's going to happen to your employment at that point, whether you stay an employee or you're not, no longer going to be there, uh, for your work injury, which in California, the fact is a sort, sort of, you know, if you do have an injury, it's a strict liability for the employer, no fault. So if you just happen to have an injury, but you also happen to have residual cannabis in your system in the sense that it's still showing up in a drug test, yeah. how does that play off for the employer when they want to assess uh, or a claims administrator when they want to assess whether they're going to administer your claim or deny it. Yeah, and so maybe you had a crazy. significant injury, maybe you had a big fall and then you have like a lot of medical needs now. Um, well, what happens when the employer starts saying, well, actually we believe that you were intoxicated uh, with cannabis at the time. And that leads into the science problem there is that, well, it's been, in, it sticks in your system for a certain amount of time and that's maybe you had it weeks ago. So that that's a real controversy. And the law is, like I said before, slow moving. So yeah. the law has in the books this this aspect of an employer, you know, they could deny your claim for intoxication, but it also maybe doesn't come into reality with the fact that, you know, we have these opportunities for recreational and medical use. And so you have that sort of intersection again with the evolution yeah. of the law versus the other aspect of it that's slower, slower and slower moving. And those things have been on the books for a long time, intoxication defense for, for, for the employer to knock out your claim on that basis. Yeah. And that's kind of tough because you touched on something that's very relevant. And this is why, you know, <laughs> we've been hearing it for the last at least six years. These companies, there's one up in Washington. I think there's one in California. might be one in Utah as well that's working on these, um, these breath analyzers or some sort of field test for inebriation as it pertains to cannabis. And it's tough um, in, in talking to a scientist at one point. He explained this to me because I really didn't think much about it, um, even being an advocate. But it's a little tricky because this can be consumed every way under the sun, right? You know, no matter if it's opioids, uh, you know, or pharmaceuticals in general, or alcohol, or, or cocaine. I mean, you, you, PCP, MDMA, whatever. There's kind of this one format that that applies to each of those. Okay, this is a pill. This is a this. This is a this. Cannabis, yeah. I mean, suppository to topical to transdermal to elixir to smoking it to vaping it to eating it. I mean, that's yeah. another factor, right? And like you said, it's it's not water soluble like alcohol. It doesn't clear out your system in 24, 48, maybe 72 hours. To your point, there can be residual depending on the type of test for up to 30 days. Yeah. So that's where I feel like, man, talk about a gray area. You know, that could be very discriminatory one way or the other. I guess, right? Yeah. So there the. I, I don't know about the science piece there. I'll have to defer to the scientists if there's any way to refine that better. Yeah, uh, because, still trying. <laughs> because again, you have this sort of slow adaptation to the reality that people have this right from a recreational or medical standpoint. And then you have it intersect with employer has rights to not have people, you know, falling all over the place. Hi, yeah. I work. And it's a safety issue and, and beyond that. So so I think the, as if there is a technological advancement in that regard or scientific, that would be beautiful because then, uh, you know, it allow people to have a little bit more refined understanding of the situation yeah. or the law maybe has to be a little more developed and, and maybe there's some opportunity there to, to amend the law on, on some aspects of that. Nice. Um, maybe 
create some exceptions there. Uh, but currently, that's not the way the law is. Um, and, you know, and there is some built-in safety measure, measures for the worker that, in the sense that if someone's going to try to deny your claim, it has to, you have to show that the intoxication was the proximate cause of your accident. So if it truly was something that was weeks old, uh, then you know you have that discussion yeah. with the doctor, and the doctor can maybe say, "Well, this is unlikely to have caused that." Like, but but alternatively, if you're high that morning when you've tripped, you know those facts would come out, and the you know the doctor a doctor could probably comment on that. That it was from from that. I think I, what I'm getting out of this, I, I think there's going to be uh, some definite definite popularity and expert witnesses <laughs> in the coming yeah. months and years, right? Yeah. I mean, until it all gets sorted out, because there has to be someone to your point that has to make that, um, you know objective intellectual input yeah. on that on that scenario you know that yeah. says hey this x amount of parts per million you know versus someone who literally just consumed within the last hour two yeah. hours two days right? I've, I've had I've, been, I've dealt with a lot of cases like this uh, meth i've dealt with meth cases oh, where, wow. where uh, yeah. yeah well the question is what what's what's the level and then get into questions of did it really cause it um you know, all kinds of factors could be happening there. So and there might be an easing of the view on, on, on cannabis, given the reality of, you know, how long it stays in your system. It might be a little more uh, flexibility in how a doctor would look at it and how maybe even an insurance company would look at it. But, um, but you know, I've seen much more harsh examples, like I said, like with meth or cocaine. I've seen oh, accidents I had a patch on cocaine. Yeah. 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 Because even that hangs around for a minute. So yeah. what? An, another side of it, and I'm just kind of curious because I was just talking to another um, a lawyer friend last week and this came up because they said, you know, they're looking to get further into the industry as far as focus or concentration for their career. And um, the one thing I kind of, I mean, half jokingly, but said, you know, keep an eye out for carpal tunnel, you know, workman's comp claims yeah. for a lot of the manual labor. One thing that, you know, me now working for uh, Green Bros, you know, we create automated solutions for post-harvest uh, so that it isn't so manual labor intensive and so that you can take that manual labor and apply it towards uh, QA or, or increase in throughput eventually, you know. But um, historically, you had a bunch of people that were just trimming, doing the same thing over and over and over again for hours on end, uh, you know, trimming two pounds. Maybe the rock stars do three pounds a day. Um, that's one thing that's kind of crossed my mind. Now that's trying not to imagine what two pounds of uh, oh my gosh, like. <laughs> you see this in front of these people and they do it in bins. It, it's it's insane. Yeah. Um, the term that's used is uh, uh, trimigrants. You know, it's these individuals. I actually met a few in Hawaii. They were on their way from Mexico to an event in Hawaii before going to a seasonally trim in. Uh, in, in the Emerald Triangle, and it can be that lucrative. I mean, you're 100 bucks a pound. 100, I have some friends still paying 120, 140 bucks a pound for trimming, which is insane. Um, it is a lot of weed, but it's a lot of that same thing over. And again, I'm talking to you about this because, you know, you come from Workman's Comp. We, we've talked about a few of your, that you can discuss, um, a few of the cases, you know, but a lot of that is kind of common doing that repetitive, oh, yeah. Yeah. right? Where it just it, rather be the knee, the arm, the shoulder, again, carpal tunnel. Um, is that something you've come across yet now that legal has come so mainstream? Uh, not specifically in cannabis, but this is a very routine type of injury. Any repetitive yeah. upper extremity type of injury, uh, um, if you're doing a business, or sorry, if you're doing an occupation that involves that, it's it's totally within the realm. In California, it's a pretty easy system to find. To it's called a cumulative trauma injury. Okay, so that that's the okay. phrase. So repetitive. Those are probably a more descriptive way of thinking about yeah. it. But yeah. it's in in the legal phrasing in, in California workers' comp. It's a cumulative trauma injury. Something that happens over time. It's this Makes repetitive sense. exposure that leads to the need for medical treatment or disability. And so if you have someone in that setting. It could happen that they are repetitively using their arms. It becomes injurious to, you know, creating a carpal tunnel will be something you could think of the median nerve goes through. It gets inflamed. Yeah. Now you have uh, some sensory issues in there, um, pain, sensory issues. I'm, I think I have familiar, I've never had carpal tunnel, but my wife had it when we were, she was pregnant because it oh, creates no that kidding. inflammation in there. And yeah. she's like, I can't feel my fingers. It's a, so it's, oh it's you know, it's, it's sort of, um, it's numbing. sort of like a joke, like, oh, you're typing all day. You're gonna, but no, it's a real serious, you know, painful yeah. condition. So, um, but yeah, no, that's uh that's a common thing that can happen from a repetitive motion job. And so um, to recognize in California what the exposure for a business is, is that you have workers doing this stuff, you may confront them uh, at some point uh, bringing these types of injuries. Um, there's a whole uh, sort of um, aspect to that though, that's a little bit uh, socioeconomic and, uh, and somewhat uh, political too, for the types of people that actually bring these claims. But uh, yeah. in the sense that typically from what I've observed over my time, uh, people don't blow these claims up as a, as a, you know, from an employer perspective, 
people don't typically blow these claims up unless they're not happy at their job. So right. uh, the happy employees yeah. just sort of go on their private medical or they uh, don't turn into a work comp claim or they just sort of bit, grin and bear it. But the ones that are in, working in an environment that are not um, Maybe hostile or, hostile yeah. or not happy or they get terminated, they get, you know, uh, I don't really like you anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm going to package my work comp claim. <laughs> so for like a, a, a claim mitigation standpoint, if you're an employer and you're running through these things, you might want to consider uh, how that impacts your uh, workers. That a good environment Maybe they do bring that work home claim against yeah, you. Yeah, maybe step back and look at the culture <laughs> yeah, of yeah. your business. Yeah, if it's shitty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? that, that influences it. I get, I get, yeah. qu I get questions all the time. How do we cut down on claims, and how, how do we cut down on uh, litigation from from our workers? Oh, wow. bringing it? And the the first the first line of defense is communication. Yeah. You talk to your people. Do you treat them well? Yeah, yeah. Those things like that culture. Yeah. Those, those are your first line of defense. There's no magic bullet. It's just being human. Yeah. That's your magic bullet. Yeah, okay. That's like constantly. And that's, um, you know, I've gotten this reputation for coming into these companies and scaling them up and, um, you know, you crack a few eggs to make an omelet. And I always kind of make it clear, you know, I love making friends along the way. But if my core goal in my career was to make friends, I'd probably go to Facebook or Twitter or somewhere where that's part of the responsibility. So once I get that out of the way, you know, that's one of the first things I communicate is that it is trust and communication. I'm like, this is not any different than your personal life. Yeah. It, it, the people that you trust and communicate with are the ones that you're most most happy with because you have that level of understanding. It, it doesn't differ, to your point, in the workplace, you know, and you want to make sure that that communication, that trust is there. And I agree with you. I find that, um, you know, these employers that have these happier environments. He's more engaging like the the folks I had on the last show, you know, they were talking about their experience and, you know, these phenomenal people they work with and they interact with. Like that certain level of respect to your point, it's almost like, that. well, I'm not going to, I knew this coming into this. I knew if I was going to be trimming flour for the same thing hour yeah. after hour, day after day, yeah. you know, that in, I know a lot of employers and correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they do want to, and I don't think it's too little too late. I think it's just when it is a sincere issue that they do try to work with the employee and say, well, let's find something else. Like what else? Tell us more of your background. I actually was with a company that they would have people kind of fill out their bios, like their pre-employment at this company bios that was public record within the, um, I should say, within our intranet. So it was record within yeah. the company. But so managers could look and see what other expertise or backgrounds hmm. individuals had in case something like this occurred. So I could go, oh, this guy was on the, you know, the processing line but he does have a background in media. So I could always use him, you know, behind the desk over here versus that manual labor. I thought it was really clever for a company to be proactive. And at first I didn't quite understand. I'm like, oh, this all makes sense because yeah. if something happens, you don't want them to come off the books and to be collecting. And, you know, we want to try to keep them employed and mm, yeah, show that yeah. we cared, right? The, 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 I, I, did, um, I did a podcast for another organization recently. And um, the question was, how, you know, what are the responsibilities of the employer to their employees? And they just care for them, for God's sake. Yeah. And, uh, Your biggest and, asset, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you want to run a business and you want to uh, make a profit and, and growing enterprise and whatever else your objectives are. You know, your employees are your biggest asset like that and care for them. And, um, and so build that environment, that culture. One of the things for my last position, one of the things I was most proud of is that people stayed. Uh, yeah. as, my, as a manager of that organization, people stayed to work. As it says a, a lot, right? And, yeah. and that's like uh, my biggest, that was my biggest accomplishment. Uh, it truly was. I didn't, you know, one case is great. Got production goals met, great. But the people that stayed and they were happy, that was an accomplishment. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's any business. That's a lesson for any business. It, trying to avoid work comp claims, do that. Trying, yeah. you know, uh, trying to avoid lawsuits, do that. And the, it grows from there. Because I, I, I've seen it over the years working in insurance that, you could have one hospital, sorry, not hospital, one hotel group have zero litigation. Zero. Wow. Big, big, big organization. <laughs> yeah. And a good and balance of, of working force, blue collar, white collar. Yeah. And, the, and then yeah. An, an, an compare that with another ho hotel or something like that that has tons of litigation. Yeah. What's the difference? Same. They're both doing housekeeping. Yeah. They're both obviously having the same exposure and, and all that. Desk, all the but same what is jobs. it? What is the difference? There's a cultural difference. That's what yeah. the difference is. Interesting, interesting. And that does kind of sometimes go to, I, I find I always use it uh, metaphorically speaking, you know, comparing how even I remember, oh no, my parents aren't influence on me. I'm my own individual, blah, 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 blah. Because a lot of people, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, oh gosh, look how his parents raised him or look look how, you know, her parents treated it. And everyone always put it back on the parents and then the children like, no, they have any influence. But it is interesting because that is true. I've learned now being a parent. But then also, again, being in uh, leadership teams enough now at companies like that 
it is trickle down. Like there is that mentality at the top does yeah. influence oh, yeah. all levels of yeah. the proverbial pyramid, if you will. Um, so I think that's, that's excellent. It's another good point that you make. And I do find not in all, I, I work for one company where surprisingly the, um, you know, the, the shelf life of the average employee was quite extensive, but then again, they did have a vested interest. So I think that kind of swayed the vote. Um, but to your point, most of the ones that had high turnover had, had low morale and, and, and low culture. Yeah. And, um, and then the ones that you walk in and you're surprised, you're like, gosh, you've been here since the beginning. You've been here. Oh, people that show pride. I was with one company where even I remember, cause now they just hit 80 employees and I was employee number 24 was, uh, Bovida. And, um, People will be like, as employee number three, as employee number 11. Like, cool. And I'm like, That's wow, cool. that says a lot about the culture. And, yeah. But they also had, that was one of the companies, you know, never, ever, ever give up, always do what's right. Like they, they had these these uh, mantras, yeah. you know, catchphrases that tied into their mission statement. Their values, yeah. It's yeah. Nice. The values yeah. of the organization matter big time. Exactly. If it's just about making money then. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's deterred me a few times in my career. I'm like, I'm not all about, but there has to be a bigger cause or a bigger picture. Like, it can't just be about getting rich. That's not life. Yeah. And if they haven't figured that out yet, then you know, I'm trying to accomplish something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, I had a had a, t- <laughs> had a had a teacher in high school, and he said, he goes, uh, you want to make money, go work in a bank, or you want to be around money, go work in a bank. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and I was like, uh, no, that's not really. What I'm doing. <laughs> but no. like, because if that's what your objective is, be, go work in a bank. You'll be around money all day long. Yeah, um, that's what makes you happy. Yeah. And there's no, there's no money in banking. People, for the record, <laughs> it's one thing a banker told. I mean, he's a very successful president of a company, but he's like, Lance, there's no money in banking unless you're in my position. There really isn't. <laughs> it's like, isn't there an irony there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seems like the only money's in the stock market nowadays. But oh my gosh, or crypto. That's yeah, a whole other tangent. Oh my gosh, yeah. doing really well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what you know, kind of going on that. So. You've made a recent change, actually, you know, I mean, literally like just made a change in your career. Now, um, if you can talk about, you, you know, this new organization that you're with, because they seem like, um, gosh, they seem like an ideal match for the canvas industry, first off, because it looks like, or at least from what I understand on the surface, they have similar priorities to us. Like in this industry, we talk about, um, we're very proud while we aren't number one, the real estate market is, but we're number two for the most uh, female leaders you know, in a yeah. uh, leadership role uh, within an industry. Um, and then we're very much pushing for social equity and equality, uh, you know, and a good example of that is New York recently legalizing and, and Cuomo not being able to get it past his desk until that factor was played in, that there was a certain amount of monies uh, on the tax side that were given back to these yeah. uh, societies and these neighborhoods that were affected the most about the war on drugs. Um, so I feel like some of the things, like it almost seems like, again, this new organization is like a perfect match for, for working with the canvas industry because you have similar ideologies. To, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have the pleasure of joining an organization run by two very strong women, and, that, that, and, and, and it's a diverse organization. And their mission appealed to me greatly because they wanted to upend the practice of law in this, this industry. And so I came from a firm before my last organization. I was, I was at my last organization for 10 years working yeah. on insurance. I can't believe that when you told me that, man. I'm like, wow, it's flown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and before that, I worked in a firm. It was a good firm, but it's just, it, it had a very sort of uh, traditional model to it. Mm-hmm. And so me uh, wanting to be innovative, I've, I've, I've been in this industry for a while, but one of the things I'm always trying to do is find ways to innovate, practice the law, uh, how to service clients and all that, and and to mm-hmm. evolve with the law, especially, and, and not just evolve with it, the forward thing too. And, you know, that's not fair to just say like, you know, as it changes, I'll change with it. Well, why not you be the change and move it forward yourself? Yeah. And that's that's part of what I've also tried to do over my career. Nice. And so what what this organization is, it's uh, I, I I I like the phrase, and I told the, the them that I hopefully they join is join the future. They see the future of tailoring their 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 handling of uh, workers' compensation defense to the client. So is their client more oriented towards litigation or more oriented towards settlement? Um, there's different angles on that and how, how businesses like to, and insurance companies like to work. Um, that's aspect of it. But they wanted to build a culture of shared ownership, of as much ownership as possible. The traditional model, like I talked about before, mm-hmm. where it was very top down, old school, very hierarchy. whereas, yeah, cool, you, you're doing a great job, yeah. but you got 40 partners uh, ahead of you and um, you'll never get a piece of the pie. And it's not just about getting a piece of the pie. It's feeling of shared ownership. Yeah. You, have an, you have a stake yeah. in the organization and what, what the say is. And so that's the, ba- the, back, the backbone of this, of this uh, firm that I've joined um, is, uh, to manage their Southern California operation. Two strong women that are seeing that they're going to take on 
the, the sort of the model of what's been happening and how they uh, firms service their clients and service their employees as well, mm-hmm. which is an important piece here. How do they treat their employees? And they're going to upend it. We're going to form an organization that moves forward into the future that understands what workers in, in terms of if attorneys want out of their careers and in terms of the places they work, and we're going to listen to them. And we're going to stop sort of the vicious cycle of sort of exodus of these firms where people work their work themselves to the bone, die, and then the owners of the top continue on with their mansions. So, yeah. um, so this <laughs> well is this put. is this is going to be the this is going to be the way of the future in terms of how to practice this area of law, and uh, I, I'm happy to be a part of it. And yeah. so, um, and, and so that's uh, that's why I joined it, and I, I uh, and to give that sort of um, opportunity of how to how to push the law forward. They have a fair forward-looking view of, of how to how to practice this, and I've always had a forward-looking view, so it's a great match. So nice. I'm excited. Excited. Cool. 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 Yeah. And so they, I mean, this is something that, again, it's very applicable, you know, to the, just like me and my background with media and marketing, very applicable to the canvas industry in specific. So, um, you know, where, how, how much have they kind of been focused on this category specifically? Um, and, and again, with, with that persona, right, with that type of persona of a company, you would think that they're ready. It, you know? it fits into the inclusive model. So yeah. they're built on this vision of, uh, and it's, it's easy to just say, oh, diversity, which are important values, but it's, it's another thing to actually do it. And, oh yeah. And Actions I, and words for sure. I mean, if right. I, if you could have my wife sitting here, she could talk, uh, for, I mean, you could, but, <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> she love it, but she lives this. It's, she's very inspiring. And I'm, like I said, the, uh, uh, the, the two female uh, founders of the, the organization are very inspiring for their bravery and their, and their fearlessness mm-hmm. and taking this on. And, um, but it's true. That's the values they're going to live by this inclusion. And, um, and that's it taking on clients that, um, other people may thumb their nose at. Yeah. Right. How, how do you how do you live inclusiveness? You take them on. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna work with you, and we're gonna advance your needs, advance your objectives. That's that's the organization, as, and that's the models to apply going forward. And um, nothing's no, no, nothing, nothing's taboo. No, yeah. this is you know it's easy for it, it, some of this is very easy for me to say from a generational standpoint. We've talked oh, about yeah. we talk about yeah. this all the time. <laughs> totally you know do. this this you're this, not a crusty old blue hair that looks like you belong on on the Senate. <laughs> floor, you know, and, and I'm not trying to stereotype yeah. the, the legal industry, but traditionally, like you said, I mean, you're very PC in how you say it, but I can say, I mean, I know that it's a very old school and you're right. I know some guys, they don't take to your point, you know, arbitration versus lit- litigation or whatever the case may be. But a lot of them are looking at that, you know, batting a thousand mentality and they won't take those more challenging or those, those more taboo because this category is, is still, I think, especially in the legal realm, in the political realm, which you and I always discuss in a very healthy manner, unlike some of our friends. Um, you know, that it is still taboo. I mean, this is still, there's a lot of people I know don't want to touch with a 10 foot, not until federal legalization. Yeah. I mean, my, my CPA yeah. is a good example. <laughs> you know, I've had a few people, uh, you know, in law enforcement that uh, friends with, cause that's what I went to school for studying, you know, cr- administrative law, criminal justice. And, um, there's like, no, not until, not, not until federal. It's like that, that I think it, again, I think it speaks a lot about the firm yeah. and, and then being like, no, this is, just like us want to be forward thinking, this is forward thinking. Yeah, you're, it's very easy to kind of, uh, okay, this is, you know, things are going in this direction. We'll, we'll go along with it. It's nothing to lead. It's nothing yeah. to lead. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's how you get Staying things done. The flow. Yeah. yeah. You got to lead. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I've, I've tried to do with my career as a lead. And, um, and people follow you. Well, and you, like you said, I mean, this has put you in a position. I've been the same way, and it's not me being, um, not, not even pretentious as a term, not being high maintenance in the fact that, um, you know, I'm all about being able to have that direct communication. If I'm not going to, I mean, I've had three of my own businesses over the years, so I do have a certain mentality. I've kind of been a, a built-in employer, not employee mentality, so I treat the money as if it were my own in a good way. <laughs> uh, but I've kind of had this contingency that, uh, or requisite, if you will, to work directly under the CEO because of being able to have, like you said, now you have that level of influence and insight on being able to take something in the direction that you feel is most advantageous. And not just for you, it's trees and forest for, for, for the whole organization or entity. Yeah. Um, but I think that says a lot about your personality because that's where I feel like we've been similar in that, not just being intellects, but also going, no, I want to make a bigger impact. I don't yeah. want just to be oh, a... Yeah. 
you know, you sign the front of the check, I sign the back of the check, I'll keep doing this until I retire, and that's it. I, I mean, this, uh, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago. It was a unique opportunity. I'm still doing it, but it's a, uh, I'm still doing it. I'm, I'm, I am doing it. It sounds, <laughs> sounds like I'm still doing it. It sounds like eh, I'm still doing it. But no, I, I'm, I'm the managing editor of the Workers' Compensation Quarterly. It's uh, yeah. uh, 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 the California Lawyers Association, which was formerly the state part. It's a long story, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's the official publication in the industry. And I took it on, and w uh, when I did it, I said, I want to try to move things forward, move this yeah. discussion forward. Uh, and, and that's, that's who I am as an individual. And you, you've known that. And then, yeah. and that's what I do in all things. It's just, uh, that was great way to do it. Let's move forward. And so that's, uh, I've had the, I've just been so lucky in, in that regard to have had those opportunities. So I'm always seeking out diverse, you know, just the, uh, diverse viewpoints. And, uh, a few years ago we, we broke it up and not just me, I turned it into an editorial board so we could have diverse individuals oh, nice. on it and, um, reach out into the community and get the voices. Cause I felt, I even recognized myself. I'm trying, but I don't have, I'm the, I'm still who I am. Oh, but yeah. if I could have different people with different backgrounds reach in and really, really, really go for it. So, um, it, it fits with my inclusive, like, again, i I don't know what it is being a millennial, but it just comes a little more naturally to me. Yeah. I, I'm not the same thing about other generations, people and other generations can be very inclusive and all that, but it's just, it is what it is. It's just, are we going to be people and we, do we care what other people think or we don't? Yeah, and I do care what not. other people think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just like, it's a certain value proposition that is just ingrained. I don't know. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a generational thing. I don't thing. know. It isn't, is it? I mean, it's, you know, cause there's been some stereotypes. It's funny cause, uh, you know, it's a good tangent you know, millennials or the Y generation, you know, now the Z gen's coming up. So the Y gen is yeah. now the gen X. I'm on the lower end of the spectrum of the gen X, but you know, we're a generation apart. And it's funny because now the, the, what people know as it to be the millennial uh, population is growing up and they are moving to that next level. And you have the Z gen, you know, the younger, I mean, they just graduated, they just started graduating college in the last five years um, that have even a different mentality. But I think a lot of people don't respect where the millennials are coming from because there's a lot of things where I had aha. I mean, I used to joke along with the rest of them because, you know, heck, they used to make fun of the Gen Xers and I'm sure the boomers were teased about by the silent or working generation uh, ahead of them. But the millennials are really smart. And I think it's to your point, that inclusion, that diversity, um, also just some of the more simpleton. Like I've run into it where like, I mean, Uber and Lyft would not be as successful if not for the millennial. They stood back and said, why the hell would I want to drive? me not driving releases me of the liability, releases me, not just liability, you know, in general terms, but financially, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it's not car insurance and gas and all I mean, things we, like that, This right? is, this is the, what it is. Millennials work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I've known that ever yeah. since I was in like college and I'm like, and I, and I hear people, how do you get things done? So why would I need to work hard? Why, like when I, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just so natural. So what I'll say is that we know how to leverage technology better, but we, yeah. but the beauty of Absolutely. being a millennial too, is you kind of lived in part, you had one foot in like before the technology took over and you have another foot in when, yeah. when it became ubiquitous. But so you kind of use it as a tool for me, it's more of a tool uh, versus just life. But so what I think you see from the millennial generation, if you will, is that um, these are, all these things are powerful things. You know, diversity is an empowering thing. Inclusion is empowering things. We're getting more viewpoints on it. It's not just me as an isolated voice saying, I think this is how I do it, but no one's sort of uh, peer reviewed that, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about a peer review of someone else saying, yeah, that's a good idea. It actually doesn't work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so well, I so, tried it and it so, didn't yeah, work. So these are all sort of powerful tools in life that millennials yeah. have in some ways mastered as they know, as they know, like these are you know good things to go for and technology being one of them. And yeah. so when you talk in, uh, you know, in, in the context of, you know, cannabis, you know, we're seeing like, well, can you, can you function as a human being like, and still do cannabis on the side? And can you do your job and still do cannabis on the side? Okay. Then that's all that I need to know. You don't need, you don't need to, yeah, you don't need to have the moral, the more, <laughs> so the moral, and you could just thought morals, but the, the, the moral judgment yeah. and all that stuff that comes with the historical baggage of why it's so challenging to move cannabis through, you know, the States and all, and then the federal government, all that sort of to a millennial type of generation, it doesn't matter. It just, all that is noise. Yeah. It all becomes noise to the efficiencies of, well, can we cut out all the crime? Can we get some tax revenue? Can we manage, form a, you know. Open up a, the prisons a bit? I yeah. Mean. <laughs> can we form a legal framework that people can actually, you know, enjoy their lives and get the job done and yeah. not, you know, uh, have crime ridden, you know, under uh, black market type stuff. That seems like a good solution. So let's do it. That that's the the beauty of this generation, yeah. in my opinion, is that you're going to see more and more of that, of like that's a waste of time. It it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. It's all about efficiencies. 
millennials are really efficient. If you well, if, if you're, you're, you're if you're a later generation that are employing millennials, yeah. prepare to have your organization reformed and, and, and more efficient. Oh, 100 percent right. Yeah. And I and I think that's almost more uh, what you're describing. And I think you might be on the cusp of it. Is the Zennial like a lot of people don't know about the Zennials? That that is a cross. That's kind of like late 70s, early 80s. So you're kind of on that cusp, like you said, to where you, you have a little bit of that influence of the Gen X because, again, to your point, like we grew up, you know, my gosh, with Atari and Intellivision and, and the first, you know, Macintosh, Apple computer and such. Um, so you you had a little bit of that, but more of it you had, to your point, around the technology. But that's kind of the, the Zennial outlook because I feel the same way. Like when people are like, oh, no, 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 and I'm like, okay, well, let's put it this way. Um, would you rather it be legal and be controlled and governed and regulated. Uh, and oh, by the way, taxes are collect, collected, which do go back to to the infrastructure, the municipalities, all the rest of it. I mean, a good case in point is uh, Pueblo High School. Um, all schools, that was part of the contingency on the taxation of cannabis in Colorado. They could apply um, for funds uh, by way of taxes uh, to give back to um, to the school at some level. And they gave every graduating school, no matter ethnic, cultural, GPA, et cetera, um, if they did continue on to uh, to college, $4,000 scholarship. I was like, freaking epic. I mean, not that Pueblo High is a big high school, but that's a good example. And that's what I try to explain to people. I'm like, would you rather these profits go to the cartels or would you rather them go back to the societies which where they come? Because you know everyone's buying cannabis. I don't give a shit what background or religion or <laughs> profession. I've seen I've seen guys that make seven figures smoking. So I, I really don't take the whole oh it's a lower class, it's a lower denomination, blah blah blah. That's yeah, and, and 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 again, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting experience going forward because you know you have a generation that for me, like I said, I'm an ambassador of the law in this conversation. Yeah, I'm just telling you that. For me, as a back uh, against the backdrop of being a millennial and thinking about efficiencies and all that, um, I look at that the alternative to having a legal cannabis situation is chaos. Oh yeah, and yeah. I no, I never liked chaos very much. Nope. Uh, and so, and, the, and being a lawyer, you don't like really care too much for chaos. You like sort of orderly sort of way of handling things. It's a legal framework to where we know what we can expect. That's not what kind of democracy you're living in when you don't know if your actions are going to be legal or illegal. What kind of, uh, that, you know, it, it's it's arbitrary. So why yeah, don't we come up with, sure. you know, it makes more sense to come up with a better legal framework that balances the interest of everybody and allows people to live their lives. And then you don't end up in jail for a minor violation. And uh, don't yeah. ruin the rest of your life. Yeah. Say, it's it's <laughs> difference between, uh, this, is, this yep. is a moving towards order versus before it was chaos. And, yep. and that, that's, I think, a, a valuable benefit, a value, a value to seek for. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the last questions I always love to ask everyone. And again, I, I feel it's almost like, although you keep a close eye on the industry and we're always catching up and I'm always filling you in, you're filling me in. Um, but as far as from maybe an objective perspective, where do you see legalization at a federal level? I mean, knowing that over 40 states at some level have some sort of uh, framework existing for, for cannabis. And, and the latest study is now 69% of the populace in the country are pro-cannabis on some level. So where's well, your... Okay. So <laughs> I, I like you, Lance, and I'm, I'm sorry to burst your bubble in the 2022, but uh, knowing sort of scorecarding the, the politics of this, yeah. it's going to be hard to pull that off. Here's why. I know. Uh, I mean, Biden the, firing a bunch of people that were known to consume cannabis <laughs> last month did not help. Well, it's just, <laughs> on my, it's just on knowing the infrastructure of the Senate and how yeah. that works with the filibuster and all that. And in priority, party, you know, they're trying to work on infrastructure bills and stuff like that, which is and long overdue. I mean, yes. I, I have to admit that's. So, <laughs> so he got so you got the COVID bill passed. You're yeah. talking about you're talking about major political capital to push through, like that you're going to have to spend to get you know infrastructure bill passed yeah. and all that. Yeah. I don't see this being unless they win the mid. The, if the Democrats maintain the midterms and can get two, three more seats in in the Senate, yeah, that could happen. But so then you you're talking 2023, 2024. But they would have to gain several seats in the Senate to to then kill the filibuster to then pass social legislation through the Senate. It's too thin. You're not going to get Manchin or a Siema, or maybe Siema, but you're not going to get you know Joe Manchin or even some Republican senators to, to go for this. So uh, you're you're unlikely to kill the filibuster to get through a, sen- a, a a bill like that through the Senate. So you're looking at um, uh, needing to get several more seats in the Senate to where you could pass legislation through not just the House but the Senate. And that's going to be the, where it's going to happen. I doubt they're going to push. They're going to expend much capital, um, political capital, to push through this. Um, 
So what's fine though, yeah. because uh, you know, I always say that's negative, right? That sounds really negative. Well, but it does. Po- but be careful what you wish for. <laughs> that sounds negative. But there's positive. I always see the yeah. po- I always see the positive on the negative. Uh, and, and being a lawyer, you look at you don't look at facts neutrally. You look yeah. at them as what do I want to do with them? And so uh, that's true. No, being a lawyer, that's, that's how, that's how you, that. yeah. facts. Just you, you're going to you're going to twist them the way you need to twist them. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's why everybody hates lawyers. But Lawyer we, talk. we, we, yeah. we see the beauty in the facts, no matter what. And what I'll say this is that's fine. Let it let it fester some longer. Well, because no, it culminates states, gives state, us more runway. So the to be states ready will just it. do what they need to do. Yeah. The states will continue to push and on a state by state basis, and they'll do that patchwork. But it'll keep moving in a direction. I don't see it moving backwards. It's Only in the moving. state of Idaho, where they just uh, amended their constitution to I make know, uh, cannabis, uh, you know, illegal. But then, yeah. yet two weeks later, you know, they they actually answered to the 2018 farm bill. So now they're passing a bill for hemp. Little do they know that's like watermelons versus seedless watermelons. A watermelon's still a watermelon. <laughs> so, I, I unfortunately, those guys haven't figured it out. But um, so I think they, it's a good way of putting it because you're right. I mean, I I still feel like some sort of level of conversation and movement forward on on descheduling or deregulation. Um, I'd love of legalization to, to to happen you know sooner but I'm I'm with you I don't mind if it bakes out a little bit more because yeah, there's still some a longer some things falling and um you know I, I think if it's an overwhelming I, I almost I kind of feel it's a bit nonpartisan to be honest on a certain level because Republicans love money and, and Democrats love weed and you know weed provides money I mean look at that Nevada is a good example not not that the the same governor is still in in house of passed but um you know that's what they did was they they voted and then they had they voted in November, and then they had until uh, January of the following not not that next January, but till the following year to apply. And the governor actually took out it was just under a million nine hundred eighty thousand dollar loan, I think, to expedite the creation of the framework for mm. legalization. And they were still are one of the only states. Um, gosh, it was that July July of twenty eighteen because um, I was out there for Fourth of July and stayed for the legalization. That was part of the whole trip. Um, but they, he expedited it where he's able to get legal by July. So literally within seven months, call it, from the, the people speaking and voting because that, that was the process. Yeah. Um, but he knew. He literally paid it back in weeks, not months. Like he was, so, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah it's, I, this, is a, this is a bridge loan. This isn't, this isn't <laughs> even like a traditional terms loan, you know? Like I said, so there's no – if it fails, if, you, if it doesn't get through 2022 like you're saying, yeah. like you're hoping, but which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, it's fine. Then you keep pro- progressing in other ways. Yeah. You, pro- you, you, yeah. you, you f- put your efforts and your focus in other places. Yeah. And, Education. And, yeah. and, yeah, and then the ball will keep moving. And then, you know, you'll look at the political aspect. On, but – but America's really so. I, I I give it compliment with one hand. I'll give it a negative. It's really good at moving super slow. Like, it, it, and that's what the Senate. That's what the yeah. Senate. You know, the George Washington oh said it's gosh. the it's the saucer where you put your cup on because it's just okay. You have a good idea. Let's put it here to die for a little while. Yeah, it's a parking and, lot. Yeah, let's park it there for a little while, and then yep. you know maybe when it becomes so overwhelming, so overwhelming. Okay, then maybe we'll do something. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's politics. Hey, I think that's you. You put a really good, not just political, but legal uh, spin on things. So definitely appreciate it. And uh, man, wish you the best. Any plugs? Is there a site or something that the uh, listeners? Oh yeah, should know thanks, about? thanks. Uh, so the firm is uh, wclawcorp.com. Randy Pollock. Uh, uh, pr- pleasure to be here, and I'll yeah. see you around. Man, it is great having you, Randy. As always. Yeah. Alrighty, listeners. Well, we definitely want to appreciate you joining in for yet another episode of Cure to Consumption. Um, definitely good conversations and a lot going on as always. Uh, want to leave you with nothing but good vibes and we will catch up with you on the flip side. Thanks again for listening. Bye now. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.